This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing design and work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from studioandesign.com, and here's my partner, Alan from pixelpartnershq.com. How are you, buddy? G'day, Greg. It is awesome to be here today, especially on this particular topic. I mean, we are talking copyright and trademark from a legal point of view so we have joanna on the episode she's waiting in the wings uh excited to be here and she's from aspect legal and she's going to give us the ins and outs of what we should be doing from both from a designer's point of view and a small business's point of view when it comes to copyright and trademark now before we get uh, Joanna in here. What have you been up to this week, mate? Mate, I've had a, well, I've actually got a, a holiday plan, just a small one, just getting away for, for five days. So this week, just uh, being busy, mate, you know, getting everything done so that I can take a break. What about you? Mate, I've been having, uh, just like you, actually, uh, I've been having computer problems and hardware problems. And, you know, I'm just really glad that I, I have redundancy and everything. You know, I have backups on backups on backups on backups. Otherwise, I'd be in real <laughs> dire straits and everything's cloud-based. So there's been no data loss, but just some headaches and some expenses and, you know, just going out and buying uh, new gear to, to, to take care yeah. of that. Actually, I should mention, I've got a new iMac. Wow, you got to love those um, uh, Retina displays. Oh, dude, aren't they awesome? Oh, just amazing, yeah. I'm, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my iMac died, dude. So, like, I had it for, where are we, seven years, 2009 model. So, it's about time we got a new one. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. I mean, I normally go about five years before I update at the most, um, yeah. unless something really cool comes out. Hey, listen, as much as I love talking about Apple year, um, <laughs> how about we grab Joanna and bring her in here? Absolutely. Hey, Joanna, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining Greg and I. Just before we get right into this meaty topic, let's just, for the benefit of our listener, can you just give us a really quick run through of, you know, who you are, what you do, and your story of the journey that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I run a legal firm that provides commercial legal assistance to businesses. So we deal with a lot of trademark and brand protection and other intellectual property related issues, as well as other general business issues. Um, I've been a lawyer for more than 15 years, but I've worked both in the very large top end legal firms and in my own practices. And so I built this practice on the basis of providing really useful value and legal insights that I've, I've taken from those years working for the top end and, uh, you know, taken it into an SME environment that I work in now. So that's sort of, I guess, where I am now. That's cool. And so obviously you've worked a lot with design business as well and a lot of our listeners are, are designers and, and design businesses. So yeah. on this episode, we really want to sort of dig deep into discussing copyright and trademarks and, and designers' contracts, etc. So how about we start with copyright and trademarks? So can you explain the difference between the two, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, these, I guess, are two areas that are commonly confused with each other. So just very simply speaking, trademarks are marks that distinguish a business, of, a business from its competitors. So they're usually sort of short names or logos 
so I guess an example would be, you know, the word McDonald's or the McDonald's M golden arches or the Nike swoosh. So those sorts of marks that are distinguishing one business from another. Mm -hmm. Whereas copyright is longer bodies of work. So you can't have copyright in a, a, a short name or, or two words put together. That's a trademark. But copyright relates to longer bodies of work. And in the design space, an example of that would be uh, longer illustrations or a web page design or sales copy. And the, the practical difference between trademarks and copyright in Australia is the way that you can protect both of those. So copyright, there's no registration process. So um, you need to deal with it differently to trademarks that do have uh, an official possible registration process. So you can have registered and unregistered trademarks, but trademarks are, are one of the things that you can protect by registering. And you can also therefore search for. So it's a lot easier to pick up infringement before it happens or even when it's happened. But if, if you're creating something that is a trademark, you can actually, there's a way that you can check to ensure that you're not infringing on anyone else's trademarks. Whereas with copyright, it's a lot harder <laughs> because so there's no registration process. So there's no public way that you can search for copyright in Australia. I guess that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And copyrights are very, there's a very fine line with copyright because, I mean, you can create something that you believe is completely unique to yourself. And if somebody has happened to do something like that in the past and it's very, very similar within a, with a, within a certain amount, that yeah. could still be considered copyright infringements, even if you were completely unaware of that previous work. Yeah, absolutely. 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 That's absolutely the case. Um, and trademarks, you know, can be the same as well. So, you know, you might come up with a brand or a logo that looks very similar to, a, to another brand or logo. So the risk is there for both of them. It's just that with trademarks, there is a process of searching that, whereas copyright, there isn't. But then again, it's much less likely that you would unintentionally infringe copyright that relates to a bigger body of work just because there's a lot of elements and the test of trademark infringement does involve a test of you know how substantial the um, similarities are between two two bodies of work whereas trademarks when you're just talking about short names of course as you you, you know or the pairing together of two or three different words obviously it can be a lot easier to or, or a small logo that's uh, that comprises only a few different design elements in a small logo that a business uses you know the likelihood of infringing another trademark is far higher so the the tests for infringement for copyright and trademarks are different um, but as i said you know one you have a bit of an advantage there's an ability to search to see if something that you're creating is creating a risk of infringement whereas copyright is harder because you you can't there is no public way to search that. Yeah, and look, I think from my experience, you know, copyright infringement tends to be a little more blatant and, and when it is enforced, it's when you've gone and taken somebody else's work and directly published it, uh, yeah. making it look like it's your own yeah. or using it where you haven't paid for it, whereas trademark infringement has a a lot more uh, in-depth. I mean, 
I know I have an experience with a major car manufacturer where uh, a client of mine could not use the manufacturer's name to say that his Mm. product was an X product. It had to be a product Mm. to suit an X, and and that came under the trademark Mm. laws. So um, Mm. on that Mm. note, I mean, how important is it for you to have your logo slash business name so the the visual side and the wording side trademarked and and what's it actually uh, protecting you like what type of infringement is it protecting you against so so the protection is in australia is through trademark registration and trademark registration is based on jurisdiction so if you register here in australia you're just protecting yourself here in australia or if you're choosing other areas overseas you you actually have to choose the jurisdictions that you want to register in Um, so how important is it to have your logo or images trademarked as a question i guess relates them back to whether or not the business would care if a competitor used a similar name or logo or the likelihood that you might be subject to an infringement action from someone who suggests that they have a better right so so they're sort of the two you know not all businesses care whether someone else who is a competitor in the market is using a similar name but most businesses do. So if you're one of those businesses that do care, then a trademark registration is a really imperative way of giving you the protection that you need to stop other traders using a similar name or logo. Um, and as I said, the, the, re- the protection in Australia is done by way of trademark registration, which is a fairly lengthy process in itself. So it takes a minimum of around about seven months to get a trademark registration in Australia and quite often it can take a lot longer. So the point is if you want protection you need to start early and in Australia we're in a a regime that is you know first in best dressed so if you um, decide not to register your trademark and then later many years later decide that you want to do it you might find that it's a lot harder because someone else has gotten in first so it's one of those things that you really need to take a future test to do I care now or might I care in the future whether someone else is using a similar name or logo in relation to the types of goods and services I'm providing. So in in your area of competition or your industry. So where would somebody go to check before they, you know, go down the the route of, of hiring somebody to to do the whole process? Like can I do a quick search online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you can go to IP Australia gov.au um, which allows um, various searching facilities I guess one of the things that you just have to be careful about is that searching can be a difficult process so if you're just searching a single word on its own it can be quite simple to do the search yourself if you're searching a logo or a combination of words it can become a little bit more complicated and that's the point where you might say okay well I want to go and speak to a lawyer or someone who's a specialist in the area to to help make sure whatever we're looking at creating or designing or whatever we have created in terms of either the name or the logo is something that doesn't infringe someone else's rights number one and number two is capable of me protecting it and just on that note i mean we have 
listeners from all over the world and, and both Greg and I have international businesses is there a similar search type for the US I mean and sh- I guess a follow-on to that is would you use um, like both Greg and I and, and you Joanna we're in Australia would I use you here in Australia to register my trademark in the US or is it recommended to use a local uh, legal practice in each country to, to do that for you? Yeah, so uh, quite often, it, so, so number one, yes, we do a lot of work in, in trademark registration. And uh, I think trademark registration is super important to get right because the only time that you really understand how good your protection is, is when you're actually trying to use that to ward off uh, another competitor or to protect your business. So quite often what happens with trademark um, registration and protection is that people um, don't understand the weakness in their registration until many, many, many years down the track when they're actually trying to use it and then they suddenly realise that their application is in the wrong class or has been mm-hmm. wrongly done. So so that's one thing to bear in mind. You're not registering just for the process of saying, oh, look here, I've got a trademark certificate. You're registering it so that in the future, if you need to use it for protection, you can. So. So that's the first point. Then the second point in relation to the different jurisdictions is that um, it really depends where you're starting your trademark registration. So we do trademark registrations all all over the world in all different countries. But um, one of the opportunities that you have when you have a trademark registration, as I said before, you've got this time urgency. So first in best dressed approach for trademark registrations. And the opportunity that you have from an international perspective is once you have launched um, a trademark application in a country that's part of the Madrid Protocol, which I won't go into, but in most countries, then you have the opportunity to register on the back of that application in any other countries that are party to that Madrid protocol and still preserve your initial filing date. So that means if you want to file here in Australia, for example, but you trade in other countries that you also want to use the mark in, you can file in Australia today, think about your application for five months and then decide, yes, you want to hit the US as well or yes, you want to hit Europe or wherever. And and you can then go off the back of your original application and predate, you get a priority boost basically. So you get to predate your application. So, so I think the answer is first start off in the jurisdiction where you are or the market that you are most prevalent and then, you know, piggyback off the back of that within six months after you've made your first application to other jurisdictions or other countries where you think that trademark registration is relevant. That's a really handy tip. I didn't know that you could – so you almost – if your application is successful, it's it's kind of, for lack of a better word, backdating it to your original application date. Absolutely. As long as you do it within six months from nice. your your original application date. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as long as you're um, doing it as part of these uh, this Madrid protocol, so, you know, part of the countries that are part of that protocol. As I said, there's 35, so you've got most countries to choose from. 
Are you protected if you're, let's say, if you don't go and get a trademark for years after you've had your your business name registered? Mm. Does having your business name registered, you know, years prior protect you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It does. It certainly, I'm not suggesting that you have no protection at all. You certainly do. But when when people, number one, it can be a lot harder and more costly to protect your to get a trademark registration years and years later because generally the trademark registers fill up and they have been filling up <laughs> you know the whole yeah. time I've been in this industry you know so 15 years ago when I worked with clients it was a lot easier for me to get them trademark registrations than it can be today today we have to be a bit more creative sometimes about the strategy that we use to get protection and to get the right protection you do have some protections even if you don't have a trademark registration you have what's called a common law um, a common law right but it can be a lot harder for you to prove ownership if you don't have that trademark registration so the way this often plays out is people will come come to us saying I've got this issue someone else is out there using a brand that's really similar to mine and they're in the same industry and it's causing confusion in the marketplace so can you help me do something about it and so we will then send out what's called a cease and desist letter which asserts the rights of the original uh, of the original business owner or, or trademark holder but the problem is that if you don't have a registered trademark it's far more likely that the response to that initial cease and desist letter will be different to if we were able to write that cease and desist letter with the benefit of also showing the trademark registration. And I tell you, one of the other real issues is that if you want to stop someone else from using your mark, then one of the first things that we recommend that you do is get your trademark registration in first, because if you send that cease and desist letter off and they get the idea to put in a trademark registration before you do, you've got much bigger problems on your hand, mm-hmm. in your hand. So number one, you need to get your trademark registration in before we send that cease and desist letter out. But if someone else has jumped on the register before you, you know, you're stymied before you can even get this first letter out to assert your rights. You know, you get caught up in this difficult registration process before you can even start asserting your rights. So, you know, I mean, I've had some real horror stories of this that come to us, but one that really pops to mind is is this lovely lady who had had her business running for more than 40 years and she had this fabulous name that she'd been using for these 40 years and had built up some real, you you know, traction in the marketplace and she'd even done um, interviews on Sunrise and and a few international-based publications. So the audience that she was dealing with knew her all around Australia and internationally. And she got wind of another business that was using basically the same name or, or almost the same name. And she then tried to get this other trader to remove their mark, but then found out that they'd applied for a trademark a year ago. So our client had been using her name for 40 years. This other person came in and had only been using the um, mark for one year, but had the trademark ap- application in. And, you know, our client was forced in that situation. Now that this other trader had the 
trademark already awarded to them. You know, our client was in the situation where she was going to have to take the matter to the federal court and would have cost her hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that mark removed from the other trader just because she, you know, she didn't get in first and she didn't notice in time to do anything about it. That's how important it is. Yeah, that's a great case study. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think that just really highlights that, you know, this is a, a lot of small businesses take this for granted and, and they're just starting up and they don't realise what the potential impact could be. So sharing a real world example like that is is fantastic. Now, sort of going forwards on that, I mean, that's talking about where somebody hadn't done the registration uh, correctly. I guess from the other side of the 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 story is, you know, uh, the fact that businesses often inadvertently breach copyright laws, breach trademark or infringe on trademark and sometimes are just yeah. completely unaware of it. And I've seen in recent times that, you know, things like uh, when you look at tools like Google Image Search, and I'm a, look, I bring this up because I'm a photographer by trade and I've had my work ripped off. You know, and it's a terrible feeling when somebody's using your work to make profit and they're not paying you for it. But in the past, it's been extremely mm-hmm. difficult to actually protect yourself and find where those in- infringements are. So I guess I'm, I'm sort of, mm. we all had a little, just for the sake mm. of the listener, we had a little chat before we hit record about this question. And, and, and uh, it, you know, it's a really in-depth topic and what we want to talk about really briefly just so you have an understanding is what the potential repercussions are if you breach copyright and the fact that the world is changing you know it is getting easier and easier for copyright holders and trademark holders to find where people are infringing on copyright i mean you can grab an image today drag it into google image search and it will find all instances of of where it is displayed online Right. So, you know, mm. Joanna, like what are the rec- mm. repercussions? I mean, I mentioned somebody before who with a major car manufacturer where their web designer had done two things wrong. Firstly, they'd used a trademark where it shouldn't have been used. But the other thing, too, was they'd grabbed vehicle images from the manufacturer's website mm. thinking, oh, well, it's just a photo of a car and displayed it on, on their website. Mm. And the next thing we knew, we had very... I mean, these big manufacturers and these big brand names, multi-billion dollar companies, they came down very aggressively and were asking for a lot of money Mm. in compensation. So what are the, you know, what are the potential ramifications Mm. if you take an image from the wrong place or you use a stock image that is not correctly licensed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's really important. And I think people need to be really cautious about where they're sourcing images from. And and I I see a lot this concept that people have that because images are out there everywhere in the marketplace that it's fine to just take you know copy images from various places small images and and use them but it's not you know um it's not from the perspective that if you're using images without the right licensing um, or assignments or transfers, then you're opening up a whole world of risk. You know, not just in relation to yourself, but you're opening risk 
for your, you know, you're opening your clients to risk, which obviously can come and bite you as well. And and so I guess the important thing is to know where your images come from. And that goes right back to understanding where people who work for you are getting their images as well, you know, and that's something that should be really fundamentally clear in the way that you work with, whether you have employees or contractors and whether they're, you know, in-house or outsourced, that there's specific processes that you all go through to ensure that all of the images that you're dealing with are, are are being used correctly and with the right licenses and that in the future if you need to prove the licensing along with that that you have the ability to go back and prove that um, one of the things is, as, as I was discussing with you before the call I've seen quite a few times is designers have come to us in you know panics because they've been contacted by an irate customer who's received a cease and desist letter from some US you know stock image company saying that, you know, images that have been on their website um, are used under licence and that, you, you know, these US companies quite often claim thousands of dollars in damages, you know, for, for the misuse of those images, you know, and the clients who are running to me are running to me because then they've gone back through their systems and whilst they, they know that internally they have always um, had systems where they've required the use of licensing, uh, licensed images, going back and actually finding that and proving that when they need to for particular customers has suddenly been something that they can't do, you know. And and so there are things that we can do with those issues from a legal perspective. Um, and even to your point about the misuse of your own intellectual property or copyright by other people, even overseas, you know, we've acted for many clients where we've been able to uh, get overseas companies to stop infringing rights, however that might be, you know, misusing images or selling replica copies of jewellery or, or other types of things. So, th there are things that you can do about it and quite often really strongly worded responses, both if someone is infringing on your rights or if you're on the receiving end of an, a cease and desist letter um, can get you a long way. But the thing is, you just don't want to be in that situation to begin with, right? You just need to have the systems yeah. and processes in place so that you're not in that position so, to begin with. If somebody does sue you for you know, having a, an image on your website that you shouldn't have used, can you just take it down? Is that a quick solution? Mm. Well, I mean, that that might deal with the issue, but it doesn't necessarily remove all legal right that the um, that the appropriate party has to seek compensation from you. So, you, you know, that, that might be a way that you can appease someone, but the rights of the copyright owner will continue notwithstanding that you've taken it down. So they can still sue you for whatever they claim their damage may have been, which can even be an account of profit that they say you've made by using their images or, or whatever their copyright is. Wow. So, you know, so usually if, if we need to, if we need to be defensive, we'll usually negotiate a settlement in that sort of situation, which includes us taking the images down. But mm -hmm. we usually try and negotiate that before we do that, what we want in return is confirmation that they're not going to, 
you know, take any action moving forward yeah. because sometimes organisations will continue to threaten ongoing action even if you've taken that image down. Wow. So I'd just like to comment on that and then firstly, just to reaffirm, in my experience, I've seen it happen and this is where it's mm. so important to have legal advice because the, the, the lawyer acting on my client's behalf protected him by ensuring that they wrote back confirming that they would take no further legal action or demand mm. any further payment. And he actually did have to pay it. It was a fairly substantial amount of money. I mean, it was a, a mm. good solid five figures for copyright yeah. infringement because they were claiming for, for damages. But uh, look, I just want to make a comment on a, on a level down. And, and Joanna, I don't want to put you out of a job because mm. it is super important in a lot of cases to seek legal advice, depending mm. on which end of this you're on. But a lot of people mm. are not aware, but most hosting companies take copyright infringement very seriously. Most mm. marketplaces mm. like eBay, uh, here in yep. Australia, Gumtree, Craigslist, they take it very seriously. And just about every single one of them have a formal process where if you can prove you are the owner of the copyright, yep. that they will actually take it down on your behalf. And I've been through this yep. where, with my clients where... You know, we've had uh, images published on uh, eBay, for example, of their products and they're, they're not authorised to use it um, and eBay has taken the listings down. Greg and I had a couple of our podcast episodes ripped off <laughs> and published on another mm. site and within four hours of me registering the claim with the host that was hosting that other site, the site was taken down. So uh, mm. I guess you've got to be careful because I didn't even have to contact the copyright infringer I could just fill in the form and prove my copyright and the host pulled down the site. And that would be devastating for a lot of small businesses if you accidentally were in breach of copyright and all of a sudden your your site's taken down. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even, you know, let's get back to, you know, sometimes they, in, in the sorts of things you've talked about, it's probably fairly clear that there's been copyright infringement. But, you know, sometimes th there may have been dual creation of things that has actually involved no infringement at all. You know, and once again, I, I, I guess, you know, sometimes that might appear in, you, you know, in, in, in the trademark area where you have two names that appear together. And so it can be devastating for people to lose rights over something when they actually haven't even done anything wrong to begin with, you know, but they just haven't taken the steps to register, you know, and, and, you know, this is a bit of a strategy that can be used, you know, if you register your trademark for an app name or a podcast name, you know, that itself can give you rights to take down, you know, to go to iTunes and to take down other apps or podcasts that have similar names. So, you know, that's a way that you, another way that you can take rights in relation to various things and then use that to dominate the market in relation to that branding if you get what i mean yeah absolutely hey um look we're gonna have to wrap it up pretty soon what you've provided so far is just killer and, and i'm loving the the conversation but i do want to just briefly talk about designers contracts so can you just yeah. sort of give us an overview of the type of things that people need to have in a you know designers contracts for for let's say when a um a client is hiring a designer 
Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so so the first thing that I would say is a contract imperative. So that's the first step, right? Because um, I, I think many designers that I talk to have started off in their business without having contracts. So then they have contracts that are sort of copied from someone else but aren't relevant to them. So having a contract that is relevant to your business and what you provide is absolutely imperative. It needs to set the relationship or it's, the, it's your opportunity to set that relationship between you and your client to reduce the likelihood of argument or dispute later on down the track. So, and I think that's the way that we should be looking at these things. You know, it's not just this document that means nothing and sits in in, in the background. It should actually be setting out how you need your relationship to work so that your clients understand. So, you need to cover things like what your clients' obligations are, you know, so that you can deal with that issue right up front of making sure that they don't have expectations of you that aren't fair because that's not something that you would provide anyway or that are based on you needing them to provide things. So you need to be clear on what their obligations are, what you need from them to be able to deliver. Um, You need protection um, for you as a designer in relation to information that they give you and that information that you give them. Clarity around what you will and won't be responsible for. So I think that's really important, you know, what are you doing but what aren't you doing or what aren't you responsible for? And some of that may be intellectual property searching, for example. You know, And maybe it's important for you to make sure it's clear for them if you create logos. You know, Potentially, it might be clear for you to give them clarity in relation to, to their obligations to do relevant legal searching or to do the trademark registrations if they want protection for things that you're creating for them. You need to be clear over when intellectual property will pass over. So sometimes designers will say they will pass over intellectual property, but you need to make sure that that only happens once they've paid you in full so that you have Mm. that ability to hold on to those IP rights until you've actually been paid for what you've, you, you know, Um, Yeah, that's a great tip. So far. And also in IP, it's also important to consider carving out your background intellectual property. So sometimes designers are in the situation where they create things that are off the base of an already created intellectual property set. So, So the important thing is to understand what that is so that you can deal with that properly so that you're right to go and use that with other customers isn't impeded and and I guess one of the other things that, that links into then is also that uh, making sure that you have the right to use work in your portfolios or, or whatever if that's something that you want to do and there's lots of other things but they're probably the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> Joanna I think uh, I'm going to be checking in with you again in the near future just to get you to <laughs> run through a lot of our documentation and I mean we've got a lot of those things I'm in doing our... that right now Al. Sorry? I'm hiring, <laughs> I'm hiring Joanna for that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think both yeah. you and I, Greg, we've got a lot of those things in our contracts. But, you know, it's one of those things that you should probably be checking regularly too, yeah. you know, and just making sure yeah. that it is it is all uh, above board and up to date because there is nothing worse than either putting yourself or your client in a position where, you know, there's legal action and that can be really messy and really expensive. And if you've got everything covered and, and you're set, you know, it's great. So, look, Joanna, I think that um, you've given us some absolute gold in this episode. I wish we had another hour to talk about this because I actually, <laughs> I get quite excited and quite passionate about 
you know, designers and customers doing things the right way when it comes to copyright and trademarks. So if somebody wants to find out a little bit more or, or need some help with their business, yeah. where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is aspectlegal.com.au. And we also, from time to time, run webinars for designers where we provide lots of information about trademarks and the trademark registration process and how you actually design with protection in mind because one of the things that you know designers often don't understand is that there there's specific ways of designing that leads to marks that are able to be protected versus marks that are less likely to be protected so anyway that's some of the things that we cover aspectlegal.com.au forward slash webinars yeah absolutely and then if if you want to be on the list for knowing when we're about to launch um, a new set of uh, webinars or if you're interested in talking about services then you can just email us at design at aspectlegal.com.au fantastic awesome and you've got a newsletter registration at the bottom. I mean, a lot of businesses, I don't like registering for their newsletters, but I think information from a legal practice that is in your vertical is really, really helpful because yeah, it's very difficult to keep up with, with the moving goalposts of, of law. Yeah. So register there as well. Joanna, that has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let's get the comments flowing, listener. Come and ask some questions and, and Greg and I will make sure that Joanna chimes in and, and answers them. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Joanna. Oh, man, that was awesome, Al. Mate, I, I just love all of Joanna's tips that she had in there. There's so many things you have to think about, you know, if you really want to protect yourself in business or if you're hiring a designer, you know, whether a designer or you're hiring a designer. So what, what was your killer tip, Al? Mate, listen, I think from my point of view, it's a really complex subject, but I would recommend that every small business owner take a step back and look at what they have published in their business and make sure that they have the rights to use them. I mean, it's very easy for a staff member or maybe even a designer to have put something in to your website, into your brochures, into your advertising that may be in breach of copyright or trademark. And if you're not sure backtrack it because ultimately you the business owner you're legally responsible for this regardless of who put it in there you want to make sure that you're not treading on anybody else's toes i mean you would hate to have the same thing happen in reverse where somebody's stolen your information and published it and was making profit out of it without paying you for it you know so just just cross check what you've got published what about you greg yeah look i just love the way joanna approached you know the the designer's contract topic and you know from the point of view that it doesn't Okay, sure, it needs to be legally written correctly, but think of it more of a, a mutual agreement so that you both know, you and the client, um, know what you're getting in for. And it's just like a framework for, you know, what you're going to de deliver. So I like to think of it that way now as opposed to it being a big, scary legal contract. And uh, look, Joanna has promised us that she'll come back in a future episode and talk more about some of the, the common pitfalls that, that small businesses and designers get into when it comes to legal contracts, whether it be something you're giving your client or a client is giving you. So I think that will be great down the track. Keep your eyes open for that. Listener, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Head over to therealmagic.com to sign up to be notified when a new episode is released so you don't miss anything. And I'll catch you next time, Greg. You got it. Thanks for listening. Take care.
Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.